Hello, good morning. I'm Sally Ann Fawcett and I am a pageant judge, a former contestant, a pageant historian and a pageant author. And today I am discussing the changing face of pageants. Welcome to Pageantland, the UK's premier podcast for all things pageantry with your host, Jessica Barkley. Here you'll find guest experts, past, present and future queens, plus my own personal insights into what it's like to follow your pageantry dreams. So whether you're hitting the stage for the first time, looking to up your game, or even after some inspiration to follow your own dreams, I hope you will find something here for you. I'll ask the questions you're too embarrassed to and get real about the highs and lows of pageantry. If you enjoy this episode, please give us a share on social and pop me a review on iTunes. Now strap on those heels and let's get into it because we have a lot to cover. Hello, hello, hello and welcome back to another episode. I haven't recorded in a while. I'm so excited to be recording again. Um, It makes me feel like I'm still in the fabulous pageant world. Um, But in between these podcasts, I hope you have been enjoying, enjoying the content we've been putting out on our other platforms. We've got the Queen's Table Lives are well underway on Thursdays at 7.30. And don't forget, we now host a clubhouse room at 8.30 on a Thursday called How to Be a Beauty Queen, where we have guest experts talking about loads of different things that could be helping us pageant girls that maybe we don't usually focus on. Um, So if you don't have a invite to clubhouse yet please shoot us a message because we have some spare invites available it's not available for general release at the time of recording this and at the moment there isn't a confirmed release date it is invite only so give us a shout if you would like to get an invite for that so you can come and join in with the conversation over there um hello sally Han. how are you hi jess how are you my darling oh I'm fabulous. I've got my favorite protein shake, so it makes me happy because it's basically like a giant chocolate milkshake. Um, so, oh, so. I've got a miserable black coffee because I forgot to get any milk. But anyway, cheers. Cheers. <laughs> it's quite, it's, um, tough recording during the day because I'd always be like, oh, I've got a, I've got a little glass of wine here. <laughs> later, had- later, my darling. Later. Later. Well, it's five o'clock somewhere, but um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I've just done my workout, um, so I'm not sure a uh, a glass of wine would go down quite correctly at the moment. Um, well, I think you've earned it myself, but there we are. That's probably why you're a, a super fit personal trainer and I'm not. I'll save that. Um, we are recording this on a Thursday, so I will be saving the glass of wine for the, the clubhouse room this evening. Because um, when we do those rooms, I, uh, I'll i have a have a glass of wine. Well, I don't always drink. I will point that out. I am what I refer to as mainly sober. So um, I'll maybe drink for like two weeks and then I won't drink for like seven months. So <laughs> Wow. We're not giving it up for Lent then. No, I, I just, I predominantly like giving it up. The only reason I'm in a, what I quote, a drinking phase at the moment is we had a really nice bottle of Bollinger for Valentine's and and, uh, and we also did some uh, some fancy Cosmopolitan. So I just need to finish the the nice vodka that we've got. <laughs> well, I go back to uh, not drinking, but there's some amazing non-alcoholic. We found some non-alcoholic reds that I'm loving at the moment. And they're only three pounds a bottle, so it's much cheaper too. Um, and you get the psychological, do you sometimes feel a bit drunk because you get the psychological, you know, like placebo effect? 
Yeah, I think I do, particularly with the non-alcoholic fizz, because you get just like the bubble energy, but you, yes. you have to be careful. Some of them have got a lot of sugar in and it can sort oh. of get a bit, a bit happy from that. <laughs> yeah. what... I, think, I think I'll stick to the hard stuff, but it's always nice to know you've got an alternative, isn't it? Yeah, it's always it's nice to have a good option. The reds took me the longest to find because in the winter it's nice to have a nice to have that sort of warm feeling of a red and and that they've some some of the non-alcoholic reds are awful. Like oh, are they? I'm not a red wine fan myself, but yeah, I'm sure you if you know what you're talking about. I only am in the winter. So in the in the winter, I like a, a fake red wine. <laughs> oh, lovely. We could do a podcast all about this, couldn't we? Never mind pageants. Let's do wine. Yes, that would be <laughs> It gets progressively drunker. <laughs> oh, fun. All the fun. And so to start off with, just in, in case anyone doesn't know who you are, I know we have a lot of newbies to pageantry that, that absolutely love this podcast. Could you just give us a little bit of a... A brief history of Sally Ann, of where you started in pageantry um, and, and where you are now. Yes, of course. Well, I mean, I started very young. I was about five or six and uh, my mum just happened to switch on the telly and it was the closing moment of Miss United Kingdom. And I'd never seen a pageant before. I didn't know what they were. And I was absolutely mesmerised. And that was 1974. And from that time on, I was just a pageant obsessive. And I got to my teens and I thought, well, I have to enter a few because I can't be a pageant obsessive and not enter them and see it from the other side of the of the stage so to speak so I entered about seven or eight uh, pageants um, I won Miss Scarborough Carnival uh, which I was joyful about I didn't do very well but I you know it was good to get that sort of experience and then some years later I was asked to judge and my first judging experience was Miss International UK in 2014 and since then I've been the head judge at Miss Great Britain for the last six years and I've also brought out four books about the pageant world the latest of which is a 75-year celebration of the Miss Great Britain pageant. I'm already going to go off topic because you <laughs> really said something in there that's piqued my interest so I will come back to the topic I promise but uh-huh. head judge I love the concept of a head judge um, mm. and this has come out of uh, conversations around judging criterias um, and mm. also conversations around whether social media should be included it's sort of it's popped up in that sort of circle of conversation and um, and I I really like the idea of a head judge because it's very it's very tricky to form a judging panel because you you want people that understand pageantry but you don't necessarily want people that know all the contestants too well it's very hard to not be biased towards contestants yeah absolutely like if you've been following for for years and you know how hard they worked and how much they want it even if they're not necessarily the right person for it it's it's so it's so tricky so tricky and um, but also if you have a complete panel of people that don't understand pageantry don't understand um what you should and shouldn't look for etc cetera, etc cetera, then having a judge can really help that um and I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Maybe we might have to rename this podcast. Um, <laughs> what your thoughts are around when systems 
say they don't have a criteria, but they clearly do. And one of the examples will be, because I'm not necessarily meaning body shape and size and things like that, because I think that's a different conversation. Um, but when they say, oh, it's not, it's, not about, um, it's not about the dress, it's about the girl in it, it's about how she walks on the stage. But then they'll also say they don't have a judging criteria. And I was like, well, basically not having a criteria is having a criteria. And how, if you're not telling the, can, the judges not to judge the dress, then how can you not sort of thing? So Yeah, I know. I, I absolutely agree. And I think giving the judges um, a criteria like that, it's sort of, um, it, 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 in some way, it's a bit of a handicap. If you're sending somebody to Miss World or Miss Universe, um, you know, I, you want to imagine that contestant on stage in Miss World or Miss Universe. But w with Miss Great Britain, for example, uh, there's me as head judge. There's usually the reigning uh, winner who's on the panel. And the other panellists generally don't have any connection with pageants at all and I really really like this because you might get me and the uh the current title holder who sort of know pageants but the others don't but each time we've pretty much judged very very similarly and there's no conferring there's no discussing I think really you you can tell pretty pretty early on who you know deserves the crown whether you know the contestant or whether you don't I'm that, that we should be having more criterias from what you've seen over the years like do you think it would be more helpful like pre pre-published criterias so um I've spoken to to some directors and they've said oh it's it's really frustrating that our queens don't then do anything with their titles but then that isn't part of the the judging criteria and it's like well how can you be annoyed that your queen isn't doing x y and z if you weren't judging them on their ability to, or ability or willingness, I will say, ability or willingness to do X, Y, and Z. Um, if, if charity work is really, really important to your system and you're not asking in the interview, how do you plan to pursue your charity work during your reign? Is it then fair to moan when the, the queens don't do it or when you don't get the, the, the best queen for the fit? Well, the thing is, of course, you know, you, you've seen this yourself. You've got contestants who work really, really hard up to the pageant and they're doing everything. They win the crown and then you never see them again. You can't, well, you know, you, and you could sort of say, you know, you've won this crown because you worked so hard, but you can't ever guarantee that somebody's going to use that title afterwards. That's the thing. Unless they've got a written contract saying you have to do X number of charity events per month, you really can't um, force them to do anything if they don't want to. So it's difficult. You might get somebody who works really hard just to win the title and then that's it. So it is hard, tricky one. That was going to be question actually the contracts should should there be more in in contracts not necessarily it doesn't necessarily need to be harder things but um but yeah just saying that you need to oh, I can't think of an example now it's like flat up we'll stick with the charity example um so say you are a pageant that really advocates for your queens doing charity work or supporting charity work that saying yeah during your year you have to um host take part or actively be seen supporting six charity things um because that's that's not actually that hard to 
share someone else's post you're still taking sort of supporting and things should yeah yeah I think I think that's a really really good idea I mean the, the thing with with pageants these days is that one of the means of its sort of justification is that the winners and the contestants do a lot for charity a lot for the community and I think it, it, they need to be seen to be doing that I mean Miss World for example I was speaking to the winner from Spain a few years ago and if she turns down uh, an invitation for a charity or an event then her wage gets docked now obviously not many of the winners get wages but but hers does and I do think it's a really good idea just to say even if you just attend six events or six charities or what have you per year I just think it's very good for the uh, for the for, for the for pageantry and I think it's very good for the brand and the title to be honest with you so I'm actually I found I've even found a way to tie this back into our thing <laughs> you seen this evolve because um we we recently had um katrina hodge on the queen's table and mm -hmm. she was competing after something like 11 years and she sort of referenced that when she last competed all these sort of the online appearances and even appearances in general as a competitor didn't really exist in the cut as it does now and um, what have you seen that the changes and do you think it's it's a positive shift that we've made um around the sort of appearance side of things yeah, well, it's that, that's a really good question. I mean, back in the sort of 70s and 80s, there weren't such things as appearances. I mean, the winner, uh, because they were under contract to the big companies like Mecca and Eric Morley and what have you, they would be seen a lot, you know, opening bingo halls and supermarkets. But the actual contestants themselves, they wouldn't have to do anything like this at all. Um, and I think when the, the tide sort of shifted in the mid-80s, and the BBC and ITV came out and they said, we're not going to screen pageants anymore. They're demeaning to women. Uh, it's an absolute outrage. Pageants had to change. They had to change and they had to change their focus so that they were seen to be doing something much more worthy than just having beautiful women standing on stage doing very little. So I think in that respect, um, the, the fact that the, the winners do lots of charity work and the contestants are encouraged to do so, this is a change that had to come about because I don't think uh, pageants uh, could justify themselves otherwise um, if they just stuck to the format of, of looking pretty and just saying a few words. So that, that's the biggest change. And I think Kat's absolutely right uh, that things did have to change and they have. And I think that's a really good thing, to be honest with you, because it doesn't it's not just about beauty. It's beauty with a purpose. Uh, and I think that that was something that had to come into place. I, I love that. And um, that tagline beauty with a purpose that that's Miss World. Is it Miss World or just? I know Miss Wales contestants definitely use it that leads to Miss World, but I didn't know if it was Miss World. Uh, yes, that was Julia Morley. She invented this in 1976. I mean, she was a very sort of um, uh, forward thinking. She, she wasn't very happy about the format of Miss World, the contestants being interviewed in their swimsuits on stage. She, she wanted to do something a little bit more worthy and she came up with the Beauty with a Purpose Foundation in 1976 uh, and that's what started the, the contestant working for charity um, which is a, a, continues to this day of course. Yeah, I'm quite glad they don't do interviews in swimwear now because I'm quite an energetic speaker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in a pretty way and um, I think I would just distract the judges because although I don't mind that my belly jiggles, it's quite... <laughs> 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 that is so funny. 
but you know it's horrifying when i was watching these pageants in the 70s i thought nothing of it but looking at it now for example you know the the film uh, misbehavior that came out last year which was about the 1970 miss world pageant and the feminist uprising Oh, I love it. Well, I went to one of the premieres with um, April Banbury, Miss Great Britain, and uh, I was watching it with her and she said to me, she said, my goodness, she said, I had no idea. She said, if pageants were like this now, there's no way I'd ever have entered. And it's really interesting to see it from a younger person's point of view, whereas I just took it for granted back then. I mean, I... I I still think it's quite nice if you if you are gorgeous and you want to enjoy and want to get on stage. I kind of love that a bit. But for me, we've we've talked recently and um, particularly in, in the clubhouse room that we host about pageants going virtual and would you want to do it virtual? And I'm like, I'm one of the few, like particularly the UK ladies. And that's very interesting because the clubhouse, although pageant land is very UK focused, the clubhouse room, we can quite often be 50-50 UK and other countries. Uh-huh. And I was probably one of the only UK girls, I think Chanel, who's also doing Yemi, um, said the same thing, is because so much of it for us is the preparation and what we want to do with the title, we, we weren't worried if it went virtual. Um, and, and particularly uh, Yemi is, is one of the, the, the lower priced ones to enter. I'm not going to say cheap because I hate the word cheap. It sounds yes, absolutely a bargain. Yeah, I think Emmy's a bit of a bargain when it comes to entering. So even even if they weren't able to drop the price, I still would have been happy to do it virtually because for me, it's it's all the stuff I'm doing ahead of time um, with my regional title and it's all the stuff I could do with my um, European title if I did win that, that mattered to me. And mm. a lot of the American ladies were the same and we had some big American directors in as well talking last week um, and, and they were saying the same thing, like they, they put it out to their contestants, are you happy if this goes virtual? Um, and, and they were like, yeah because it's what we 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 like the stage bit the stage bit's nice but it's it's just like the cherry on top it's certainly not for them the cake or the icing um and 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 it was the same um but it's um and i think that partly because i'm not very i'm not good with makeup But I think think that, no, that's absolute rubbish. You always look gorgeous. But I think that's the difference. You want to use the title as a platform to do other things, whereas a lot of contestants, and I'm not going to knock them for it because it's so glamorous. They love the being on stage bit and the being in front of an audience and the lovely dresses. And I think that's, you know, sort of a big difference. Uh, between contestants and you know I'm certainly not going to knock them because that's the sort of thing I loved as well but if you're using the to win the title as as a as a lever for your platform that's why you know you're very happy for it to be virtual because you want that title in order to get on with what you want to do rather than as an end product I think this is is where the like the definition of crown chasing has really changed because even if you are quote unquote crown chasing to get a crown if you're chasing that crown because you want to do something good with it and therefore within parameters it doesn't necessarily matter which crown it is because a lot of them will help and amplify your voice and surely that's not a bad thing if you if you jump systems around I mean I'm I like to focus in on one system but I do think there's become um now crowns can help bolster your advocacy and your awareness platform and that the 
there's become so much more of a grey area around this concept of crown chasing. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't understand the um, the sort of um, antipathy towards it. You know, in in the seventies, the same contestants would enter everything, every single pageant going, and I, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing. Though back then, of course, they had a really large check as the as the as the prize money you know even smaller pageants would pay a couple of hundred pounds to the winners and they freely admit that they did it because they, it was good money but I don't think there's anything wrong with changing systems at all I, I like seeing the contestants trying all the different systems I think it was um um Holly Perry that said the same thing and she's like I, I love pageants if I could have competed every weekend I would have done like maybe yeah. enjoy it and um, and I did a I did an episode around crown chasing and um, sort of early first lockdown I think it was um, and I was like the only crown chaser I know is my daughter because she <laughs> the sparkly crown oh bless her. I bet she's amassed more crowns than anybody now bless her heart um, but she doesn't want to win she doesn't want to me to order her one she's like I really like another crown mummy and like some of them, it's, it's very hard because her head changes shape and some of them. <laughs> actually her, her head the little ones get broken um, and and um, particularly her one the one she seems to wear the most was the first one that she actually won and it was an on-stage thing so I really want to keep it in one piece so I was like well why doesn't why don't we look for and mummy will buy you no mummy I want to win the crown I was like, oh, oh amazing you see she wants to work for it but no I have absolutely no problem with I, I don't really understand why why you have to sort of be loyal to one system I just think you know it's a very short time frame really unless you want to carry on you know when in, in later years but just enter as many as you can they're all different you all gain such different experience from them oh i forgot to unmute there that's always <laughs> i thought you'd fainted from lack of protein shake i've got a slightly squeaky chair and a sniffy nose today so i keep muting in between and <laughs> mute the sniffs which is probably a habit i've picked up from clubhouse as well because clubhouse <laughs> you basically you stay you mute unless you're speaking and so it's I've got to remember I'm on it <laughs> <laughs> oh so funny but yeah no I say crown chase away it's it's fun it's fun to see um the contestants in in different different systems and I really honestly do not have a problem with it at all what has been an, another maybe positive that you've seen grow throughout the years? So we've talked about the appearances and it becoming more about the advocacy and charity. Has there been any other sort of big positive changes that have particularly warmed your heart? I think the main one, and this is the one I keep coming back to, is that uh, back in the early days, it was a very, very narrow window. You had to be between 18 and 24 uh, not married, never married, uh, never divorced, never had children. You had to be, no, nobody actually said you had to be a, a size eight or a size 10, but you, you certainly wouldn't, you wouldn't see anybody over size 12 uh, in pageants. And I think what I love about modern day pageantry is that it's so inclusive. And I, I, I love that. I love the fact that you can be older, you can be bigger, you can be from any background, you can come on stage in glasses, uh, you can have a disability. That's the, the main thing. It was a very, very narrow criteria back in the 70s and 80s. So that, that's a, a brilliant, um, a brilliant thing that's happened. Yeah, I was, um, I was, <laughs> so I keep talking about Clubhouse. My life is a role. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to join in. It sounds great. Well, I was in a room this morning and, and a lady was talking about, um, 
this this thing that she does uh, on there to raise money and awareness for her charity. Uh-huh. And she talks about other charity and campaign. I've never heard anyone really outside of pageantry, unless they're talking about a business campaign, refer to the word campaign. Mm. And on this campaign, that campaign. And I was like, are you a pageant girl? Because you should. <laughs> and she said, um, she's like oh no 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 I definitely like my profile fit picture is a bit catfish like I, I I definitely couldn't be and I was like my profile picture was a is a Charlotte Clemmy on, on Clubhouse so it's 100% catfish because I've had glam squad do my hair and makeup I've had Charlotte like position me and and direct me and take the most amazing picture um it's and I was like, it's not about that anymore. Like, it's about everything you're doing. Um, all you'd have to do would be to sign up and the bit on stage when we're allowed to. Well, this is exactly, this is this is another point. You know, pageants um, stopped being shown on the telly in 1985. And therefore, there's an awful lot of people who think that pageants are still how they were in 1985. So when you try to explain to them that 35 years later, things have changed, they don't know because they don't see it. I mean, the people that come to pageants now are mainly family and friends you rarely get members of the public and so trying to explain how pageants have evolved to, to, to the you know ordinary members of the public is quite a challenge it's a challenge that us at pageant man really want to start taking on so um we we are a team there's nine of us doing this i'm definitely not going to take the credit for all of this but we <laughs> have got one year two year five year ten year plans for pageant lands um, oh wow we're trying to make it financially sustainable because at the moment we we just all dip in our pockets when when something needs paying for um and if we can't afford it and or no one wants to pay for it then we don't do it but mm-hmm. we are trying to build in an infrastructure to make it financially viable um we are trying to build it in a in a structural way that means we can pass it on to people so if i hit a phase in my life where i can no longer um host the podcast as I do now and that we can pass the format on to someone else or I can uh, mentor and intern someone to in into being able to do this and take over it and um, because we at the moment um we're in our phase of of building up the community and bringing the the pageant community together and um, that already exists and and in doing that, we are already reaching new people. But the the next sort of phase, as it were, is to is to start bringing in new people from outside the industry. Because if you're not growing, you're dying. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it's quite a sort of um, it's a very small pageant community, isn't it? Really, in this country, and it's quite insular. And I think you're absolutely right. I think bringing in new people would be a real eye opener. Yeah, it's really nice that we've actually got some new pageants coming in. I think there will be some pageants that 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 fade out. Um, uh, sometimes just because the director maybe hasn't got anyone to pass it on to and they can't do it. Um, sometimes uh, what that pageant stands for, the format of that pageant, sort of doesn't suit the the evolving and the changing face of pageantry um but we've got like um miss eco uk uh, there's already an international um, and molly marie buckley who we've had on um has taken over the miss eco uk um and even her handling of launching it in the uk was noticed that she was contacted and asked to also um host the miss environmental uk um because wow. She's taken on all her knowledge and experience of competing and, and is making sure that what she's doing is different. And suddenly she's not just appealing to the pageant community that already exists because her pageant is 
has got eco in there um it's got a bit more of a like a niche it's a niche within a niche yeah, um, absolutely that is much like miss scuba that you know that attracts a different um a different sort of type of contestant as well yeah so it's got that kind of crossover thing because now she's bringing in um people that are really in, into eco and in very, really environmental that maybe hadn't thought about pageantry before and um, i mean i talk about this with with ladies when we're um with the two pageant coaching um pageant and coaching programs that we do um one of them is very focused on platform development um in fact that's that's the whole pro, pro, in fact, one of the programs the whole thing is platform development <laughs> purpose from pageantry and um, and we talk about where we can find these crossovers um so particularly in the area if you're trying to get podcast interviews you're trying to get youtube interviews there are limited options if you only go to pageant platforms yeah. um, there's a handful handful of podcasts um so you've got like pageant uh, pageant planet and um, ourselves there's uh sash says there's winner pageant but not all of them have the format for having interview guests either um so you have to think about what what else do you do you bring to the table and so referring as Katrina Hodges in my head, um, we'll stick with her. Um, she's had a lot of advocacy around bullying. So she could go on and speak on podcasts about bullying. It's still bringing, it brings pageantry into a new audience because yeah, people, that's right. people tuning in for that podcast won't necessarily know what pageants are. Um, and she goes and talks about bullying under her her title and competition uh, her title as a finalist she's bringing taking pageantry to a new audience um in the same what and you can do that with whatever your your advocacy is or whatever your additional page, uh, passions are um if you're into uh women's football um go take your pageant title to a, a women's football podcast yeah. or football youtube channel like yeah you're absolutely right you you are absolutely right you have to have that other um, you know the the other the other interest the other platform because i think you know even i find now um people are still petrified by the the, the words beauty pageant you know i was speaking to somebody at the yorkshire post and they said, you know, we would have liked to have done an article about your book, but we have to be so careful about beauty pageants these days. And I thought, you know, exactly what I said, they're still stuck in the 80s in that attitude that pageants are really bad. Beauty queens, you know, stay away from them. Yeah, I um, the, the common one I used to get asked is, yeah, is like, oh, is that is that a thing? Is that... Um, does it have a place in today's society? And I was just like, I have raised thousands of pounds for charity through um, through being involved in pageants. And I'm like, oh, but surely you could do that without it, without... That's right, that's it, yeah. And I tell them how um, I, I've done charity work. I love doing charity work. I don't know, it's my event planning side of me comes out. And, and, and it's just something I've always been involved in since junior school when I was charities commission um, member at school. And Who were you? <laughs> That's amazing. I've just always done it. Like, I, I just really enjoy it. I don't know why, but I do. And so I lean into that. And um, I did uh, um, a couple of events when my mum passed away and um, she passed away from cancer so I was raising money for, for different cancer charities and things and actually even while she was sick it gave me a nice positive focus mm. 
And I wasn't competing in pageants for a lot of that time, but I noticed a massive difference, even with that kind of hook, that quote unquote story, that like sympathy, the sympathy vote, whatever, of my mum being very ill and then having passed away. I raise a lot more money as a, even a regional title holder, even with just like the finalist sash than I ever do when I don't have that. And um, I can't explain why you'd think people would be more sympathetic with, oh, the kid whose mum's dying than you would be with the kid who's got a sash on. But it's just, I think, I think, you know, I think, I think you've, you've hit a, hit a point there. I think that when you've got a sash on and you say that you're Miss Whoever, people are still fascinated. They still are. You know, I find to this day that even though, you know, you don't see them on the telly anymore, hardly see them, hardly see them in the newspapers, still having a sash and a title, people still love it. And I think you've really hit upon a point there. It's and it's also being able to go and support those events because I've um I mean I can't go to anything this time around um and in fact the last time I competed it was the first time post baby so the physical events got a bit trickier but pre baby when I was competing I would go, I went to one event specifically where they contacted me after and they were like we got paper press because you were there and wow. I title holder it was I was Miss London Galaxy um and they were like we managed to get um some local newspapers and things to come along because you were there and because we had photos with you at the event to use um we've been able to get in the paper and get additional publicity um thank you for coming um and I've kind of used that I I know it's happened in other places but it was the fact that they they contacted me with it being a very specific example to say thank you for that is to not be afraid to go up to the organizers when events open up again obviously uh, go up to the organizers and say would you like some some pictures with me because i i know it often can be quite helpful if you're trying to get some sort of a hook into the newspapers or a hook into a social media story well you're right and you know that's how that's why you know miss world was invented in the first place because mecca the uh, ballroom and bingo people they wanted a title for some publicity so eric morley came up with the the concept of miss world and it provided fantastic publicity for mecca and you know that that really that's that in in a nutshell if you're going to be miss so and so you should be representing that brand and getting um publicity for that brand um as you're going about your your work so you're absolutely right you know you you with your title you managed to get that event in the press, which is really what what pageants be, began as. And it's, I mean, it's very interesting because I I think a lot of directors shy away from either inversely or inversely, and um, shy away from really expressing how this is this is a job although the majority of uk pageants i don't know if any of the uk pageants now pay you a, a full-time wage and ask you to to take a sabbatical um you're probably much more knowledgeable on if any of them do now uh, uh, no i don't think they get an actual wage i mean i think the big ones um you know like miss england etc they get travel expenses and what have you but i don't think they get um paid an actual wage like miss world or miss universe but it's but it's still it is still a job that you're taking. Yes, go in and enjoy and like you've got to enjoy the process because sometimes there's seventy ladies on stage and only one person's going to win. Mm. You need to have in your head this possibility that you might win, and 
can you um, allow the the time for it? And I I remember I spoke in early lockdown at CrownCon, um, which was so lovely to be asked. I think I was the only English speaker um, there. It was wow. American um like virtual conference. I'm like wow, thank you for finding me. Um, <laughs> and I did a talk about purpose from pageantry and and having having that sort of plan of action that um, that big thing you want to do with your title. Um, I know it's. Uh, uh, when the lady that runs Winner Pageant refers to it as your legacy project. Um, Hannah Golding, Sparkles and Rhinestones refers to it as your Queen's project. But but making sure that you've kind of got that and you know what you're going to do with your title afterwards. And, and having gone through all this and gone through how to plan it out, et cetera, et cetera, with everyone, at the end of the talk, I said, if you are feeling overwhelmed by what I've said, and that maybe now you're thinking, oh, crikey, maybe pageantry isn't for me. Don't not do a pageant, but be careful with the title you pick. Because do you really want to be taking away the, the platform and opportunity um, from someone that has got a plan, has got the time? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like some, some of the titles... Um, maybe have less international weight uh less publicity weight um they're still they're amazing titles you can work really really hard for them um but maybe there's less that you could do with them in connection to what your platform in connection to whatever your platform is well i think so and i think it, it's, it's striking a balance isn't it between um you know encouraging contestants to enter just for the fun of it and just for the glamour and encouraging them to enter because they want to do something with their year and i think some directors might think well i'm not going to insist on this charity work otherwise you know i'm not going to get many contestants and i think it, like you say it is a balance there are pageants that you can enter and you know it's just like for the glamour you've got the crown off you go and there's others that you know are sort of going to be expecting a lot more from you and I think that's that's the balance you need to strike I I, I think each has yeah their benefits because for me I one of the big reasons I've chosen Yemi is because of how much they they actively want their queens to do how mm they are um, platform-based, how much they are charity-based. Like for me, having that system that really wants that from their queens that, that in a positive way, I'm pushing can sounds negative, but pushes, actively encourages and supports their queens to do more with it, was the reason I signed up. Because for me, that's more reason to do it. Would I compete in a pageant just for the onstage, the, the pretty bit? Probably not. Because no, that's right. And then, then similarly, there's some contestants who might think, no, I don't want to do Yemi because I don't want to commit to the, you know, the, the charity work and what have you. And that's absolutely fine. But like you say, it's, you know, research it carefully, have a look and see which one suits you best. A hundred percent. It's there's. There's such a scope of different patents within the UK. I mean, if you're listening from other countries within most countries, there's a massive scope um, and it's yeah it's finding the one that really resonates with you I mean we've talked about prize packages as well it's like finding the prize package that connects with you I don't think I've ever checked the prize package on any <laughs> beyond does it get me to an international because I would really like to compete at an international um, mm. and I would like to um I'd like to win my place to an international because as a Miz there's lots of really great go at large options 
um, that maybe they don't have a, a national competition in the UK. But I want to have done the journey first before I oh, do. Oh, absolutely. You want to get there as a winner, don't you? You want to arrive at the final as a winner already. Um, but it's it's yeah, it's making sure that you're yeah selecting the right one for you, selecting that you've you've looked at at the contracts and things and what sort of commitments there are in there because it massively varies and like you said there's not there's no paid it's a it can be it can feel like a full-time job or a part-time job but there's no pay from it as such that's right i know it's such a shame i mean it, it's you know it, i was um i judged um miss northern ireland a couple of years ago it goes into miss world and that's the only british pageant i know of uh, where everything is fully paid, they've got a sponsor. It was a it was a beer company that year, and they were absolutely stunned that contestants on the mainland have to pay for everything themselves. You know, they, they're still um, they're still having it all sponsored and what have you. But you know, back in the old days, everything was paid for. Everything amazing. I think this this kind of goes into um, some of the topics, and I know we we need to wrap up fairly soon. And um, but. Some of the the topics that we're starting to discuss in team meetings with Pageantland of how can we assist uh, directors um, and the and suppliers within the industry. Um, a lot of systems are run as quote unquote. I hate this phrase. Side hustles. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Miss side hustle. There you go. Yeah, they're like they're like they're, they are. They're not for most directors in the UK. It's not their main form of income. That's um, right main business um they may have a career that doesn't mean they have any knowledge about social media they may have a career that means they've never had to create an an infographic or a create a viral advertising campaign and um, and at pageant land we very much want to start having having those kind of resources available for either little money or no money so mm. it's really accessible to directors to people starting businesses that are within the pageant industry but maybe they haven't got the the finances or the time um, to commit to going and learning all those skills I mean we are we are here because we want the UK pageant industry to grow and flourish yeah it's it's and it's finding ways to do that it's all very well and good saying we want the industry to grow but um which is what we say on all our platforms obviously but in the background we are we are working our butts off to find actual actionable ways of doing that that is such a good idea like a support hub that you come to um and you can sort of get get that sort of support and help that's a brilliant idea do you think that um, one of the, the big negatives, obviously, we've talked about is the fact that a lot that, that there isn't this paid job role at the end now for pageantry? Do you think there are any other negatives you've seen change over the years that we we it's good? I think it's good to be aware of the problems so that we can try and fix them. <laughs> I think um, I don't think it's particularly a negative, but a, a massive change is that um, back in the 70s, 80s, th 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 there was very little pressure on the contestant. They might finish work at five, get their hair done, go to the nightclub, enter the contest, and that was it. And, and it's, it's interesting that these days there's so much more preparation. And I know of quite a few um, contestants who said that they, they don't want to compete anymore because they don't feel they can keep up with what they feel is expected. You know, all the hair and makeup, 
makeup, the fake tan, uh, the eyelashes, you know, all the stuff that goes into, um, you know, getting ready on stage. And I think that that's probably some, that's a big change that I've seen. The training, you know, a lot of them feel they have to get paid training um, beforehand. Um, I think it's a lot of the preparation that people, a lot of them love, a lot of them it's put them off, I think. I think also if you're coming in new, it can seem very intimidating or you come to your first one not knowing that any of this even exists. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And exactly. And then feeling that they've got to keep up with it, that they've got to um, go through the same stages of, uh, of preparation. And, you know, even when I was competing in the 80s I thought you know I'm sick of doing that I'm sick of getting my hair done and that's all we were ever doing but now it's it's sort of gone a big step further much like the Americans used to do um, and I think that's put a lot of people off so it would be nice to sort of um you know re reassure um potential contestants that they don't have to have all this if they don't want to yeah I think we're um I definitely sort of talk about he works smarter, not harder. There are quite often much quicker ways of doing things. Um, sometimes it might mean that you have to invest a bit more money instead of time. Um, and sometimes it's just finding the right person that can guide you. Um, so if you've got the right coach, it might seem like, oh, now I need to be a bit more, I mean, it might need to be a bit further along in my pageant career to invest sort of time and money in a coach. But actually having that coach can save you time money in the bigger picture of things yeah I absolutely agree absolutely and I always say to the to the girls who come to me for advice I say the best thing you can do is go and watch that pageant go and watch it for yourself and see exactly what it's made of you know that, that that's the best way to learn I think and by as entering you probably found this yourself the more you enter the more you gain the experience and the knowledge and, and the confidence yeah, and, and enjoying that first experience. I mean, that that for me was one of the big spur-ons spur with the podcast is um, after, I mean, what were we into? I think we were into season, we at least done two seasons. We might have been into season three by this point um, of the podcast at the end of, of Galaxy last year is a couple of ladies that competed for the first time came up to me and they said, without your podcast, we wouldn't have enjoyed this experience anywhere near as much. Oh, that's lovely. They had an insight. They, they felt like they chatted to this pageant friend and and they'd message me and things when uh, if they had questions about episodes and I get that quite a lot that people sort of ask for more information and I give where I can and or I create another episode to talk about whatever it is they've asked because the chances are if one person is sending me a message or 10 people are sending me a message about something there's another hundred that are also going scratching their heads going oh I wish I knew about this I wish absolutely I right you're like a pageant pal I love that that pageant mentor yes we we are we are here to help and that's what's nice is there are nine of us behind pageant land that can all add our support and um, we all have access to the email account we all have access to the Facebook dms and the Instagram dms um and it means that you you can have different responses um and and get that sort of varied knowledge but what we're always very careful of in pageant land is that we know we know our limitations and we don't see it as a weakness um i talk about it in the fitness industry actually a lot know your limitations don't see it as a weakness be willing to refer um, yeah absolutely right. and that's what you need that that's what these these because it, it, it builds trust doesn't it it builds trust. well actually i don't know but i'll try and find out yeah definitely that's brilliant you're doing a great job jess you really are i'm really impressed well, we've we've got to wrap up. Yes, 
Sorry, but could you, I know you've got quite a few, but could you just give us a little quick rundown on each of your books? Because I know a lot of people that would love to have a bit more pageant in their lives and your books are so, so good. Um, so if you could give us a little rundown sort of title and, and what each one is about before we finish so people can go off um, and, and discover those, that would be amazing. Oh, well, thank you. Well, my very first book, which was called Mr. Mina's Beauty Queen Scandals, it sort of says, um, it said exactly what it says on the tin. This was about the big beauty queens in history who made the headline news, the news at 10, uh, because of some big story. Um, the second book, which was called More Misdemeanors, went more into the history of pageants and some of the more political aspects, such as uh, South Africa, Zimbabwe, um, and how they sort of infiltrated their way into the big big pageants uh, book which was called Miss Three Mina's second runner-up uh, again that was uh, again more in a sort of general history uh, th that's the sort of side that I wanted to concentrate on rather than the scandals and then the book that came out just before Christmas is called Miss Great Britain the official history and that's commemorating 75 years of Britain's longest running beauty pageant which started in 1945. Amazing and where can we purchase all of these fabulous books? Uh, well they're all on Amazon and they're all in uh, uh, Waterstones and Blackwells, but of course they're closed at the minute. But Amazon is your best bet. And I'm very happy to uh, send out signed copies as well. So uh, always happy to speak to new customers and what have you. Awesome. So we'll, uh, I will make sure that all of Sally Ann's links are in uh, the description of this below. So wherever you are listening to this, please check out the show notes. Um, if for some reason it does appear on a platform where show notes aren't visible, um, then jump over to Spotify or iTunes because the show notes show on both of those. And I know we are available on Oh, at least seven different platforms. Amazing. Amazing. Honestly, it's brilliant. It's Pageant FM. It's Pageant FM, yes. yes, yes. <laughs> um, and um, anything else that we haven't touched on you'd like to add and, and any social media links you'd like to share before we finish? Uh, no, no, I'm very happy with that. I, I mean, I, we could talk about this all day. I'm absolutely... Absolutely sure. But I think, you know, even though there's been so many changes over the years, what I'm so proud about to be part of the pageant industry is that it's changed, it's evolved, it's risen to the challenges of all this uprising and uh, opposition in the 80s. And now it's bigger and stronger than ever. And that's what I'm really proud about. And that's what we'll keep building on all of us together. Oh, that's an amazing thing to end on. Thank you so much for coming. Mm. It's been Lovely to speak to you, Jess, as always. You're doing a brilliant job. Thank you for joining me today. I value and appreciate your time so much. It's wonderful you've given some of it to this episode. Please rock on over to our Facebook or Instagram and share your thoughts. And I would love you to give this episode a share while you're there. For any specific links, check the show notes or rock on over to our website, pageantlandpodcast.com for more information about the podcast or how you can be a guest on a future episode. Have an amazing day. And remember, you sparkle your brightest when you're being yourself. See you soon.